excited for what God's going to speak to you today through Colossians chapter 3. I was with uh, Prophet Jeremiah Johnson in North Carolina last Sunday, and thank you for loaning me out to the Ark Fellowship. It was an amazing time, and I gave Colossians chapter 3, and while I was still preaching this message, or preaching the scriptures, people were coming out of their seats, and they were responding in such a radical way. They were actually surrendering items that they had. And uh, matter of fact, people were dumping out entire purses full of cash and they were putting luxury purses on the stage and people were um, bringing up all kinds of drugs and paraphernalia. And it was just an amazing thing. If you go back on their channel, you can watch last week and I'm still in awe of what God did. And, and so I think what it was was that people were responding to what I'm about to read to you right now. And they, and the Holy Spirit was revealing some things in them that really is beyond my ability to preach. It's beyond my ability to communicate. And so uh, I'm going to read it to you and I'm going to pray that it has the same effect. Um, the Bible is a light that shines into the darkest parts of our life. The Bible is a sword that cuts out the cancer that's growing in our soul. The Bible is the breath of God that's breathed into us to bring new life. And so it's very important as a church that each and every one of you individually understand that this was maybe written by man, but it was inspired by God. And so it came through human hands, but it actually came through the mind of God. And so when I read this, I want this to be spirit and breath and life and light to you today. And so it says in Colossians chapter three, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. I love that it says set your sights because that's a command. It means that we have a choice. What are we going to look at? What are we going to focus at? Where are our sights going to be set? I, I don't know about you, but it's really easy to set your sights on the things of the world. It's very easy to set your sights on your, the bills that are due. It's very easy to set your sights on the constant fear-pumping news machine that's telling you about tragedies around the world. It's very easy to set your sights on uh, you know all of the, the chaos of your home. But it says you have to set your sights on the realities of heaven. Man, it's such a convicting scripture, but it's also... Um, a very comforting one because it means that there are, there's these realities, plural, of heaven. And that means that there's another dimension spiritually, one that we maybe can't see with our physical eyes, but we can set our spiritual eyes to see the realities of heaven. You know, I'm, I'm only like seven words into Colossians chapter three, but you see how different this is than the way that we live. This is so different than the way that we think. And so what that means is set your sights on the realities of heaven. It might mean that like here in New York, um, people are addicted. Here in New York, people are broke and struggling with poverty. Here in New York, people are depressed and committing suicide. But, but there must be this other reality of heaven where there's a new New York City, where people are getting free, where people are canceling suicides, where, you know, it's like there's another reality. And, and, and sometimes those realities can be in the same room. And one's in the physical realm, one's in the spiritual realm in the same room. As a matter of fact, there are angels in the room that you're in right now. You can't see them, but there's heavenly realities 
The Bible says that, and this is New Testament, we entertain angels unaware. Like it's possible to have interactions with angels and not even know because there's a spiritual dimension in this reality within the same space you're in right now. And it says we have to set our sights on that spiritual reality where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. That's also a command. Think about the things of heaven. We're gonna be so tempted to think about the things of the earth. We're gonna be so tempted to say, I'm hungry right now. Where am I gonna go eat? I'm sad right now. What can I watch on YouTube that distracts me from this sadness? You know, we're gonna be so tempted, but it says, Think about the things of heaven. So what are the things of heaven? It's the things that are lovely and pure and noble and true. The things of heaven, you've got to think about those things, not the things of the earth. For you died to this life and your real life. I just want to stop right there. You died to this life. You died to the life of just working a job to get paid and paying all of your bills and then dying. You died to the life of trying to grow your social media account and likes and followers and affirmation of people. You died to trying to buy a house to get a status symbol so that people think that you're successful. You died to going to college and getting so many accolades and degrees that people think you're intelligent. You died to trying to get the love and affection of other human beings. And you died to all of that. And you said, God, none of that is my value system. None of that is the thing that I live my life in alignment with. None of those things are the things that I care about, even though I desperately care about them. It says you died to that, but you have this real life. But I love this last phrase, because isn't it crazy to think like there's a life that you're living, but then there's your real life. If you're a Christian, I'm talking to you right now. It says your real life is hidden in Christ. You know, I think about when I used to play hide and go seek. You know, we all did that growing up. And sometimes like in in the house, it's like you would go hide in the closet and then they're running around. You can hear the footsteps of your siblings or your cousins looking for you and they're going through everything. And when something's hidden, you go through and you're, you're going through every closet, every hallway. You're going through the bedroom. You're lifting up the bed, the mattress. When something's hidden, you're looking all over for it. You're going through everything and then you find it. And I was thinking about how your real life Colossians 3 says that it says your real life is hidden in Christ. And so when your real life is hidden in Christ, it's like you're, you go through every, you're, you're going through every scripture looking for your real life. You're going through every worship experience and you're singing and you're like, I'm looking for my real life in Christ. Like in every song that we sing in worship and every scripture that we read, and I'm trying to find my real life. I don't want my, what's the opposite of a real life? It's a fake life. I don't want my fake life that they tried to give me in academia. I don't want my fake life that they tried to give me in religion. I don't want my fake life that they tried to give me in American culture. 
I don't want my fake life that they gave me in Northwest Indiana, blue collar, steel mill, buy a house and get a jet ski and have a big truck. I, I don't want to find my real life in Long Island. Maybe I can live off of one of the shores and maybe my, I, my kids can go to private schools. Like I didn't find my life and maybe I can finally get a condo in New York City with some amenities. And I, I, I found my real life hidden and I think that's, that part of the verse is so intentional. It's hidden in Christ because things that are hidden have to be found. Things that are hidden must be searched for. And I think that's really the heart of this message that I wanted to get across today is that it's not going to be easy. It's just like hide and go seek where they're hidden and you have to find them. And there's like losing your keys and desperately trying to find your keys and it produces so much anxiety and so much fear of like, I've got to find my keys. I've got to find my wallet. And, and there's, there's this anxiety of trying to find it. But then there's also hide and go seek where it's not anxiety, it's exhilaration. What's gonna happen when I finally find that person that's hiding under the bed or hiding around the corner? And I think the Christian life can be anxiety or it can be exhilaration. I don't know if this is helping anybody, but the Christian life could be, oh, I, I hope that I finally find Jesus so that I can get free from all these things and I'm so full of fear. Or it can be, I know that as I continue to sing these songs, as I continue to look in the scriptures, as I continue to go to connect groups in relationship with people and we're surrounding each other, I know that there's this real life that I have that's hidden in Christ. And oh, when I find it, little aspects of it everywhere, it's gonna be amazing. And he says, for you died to this life. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will also share in his glory. So many times we do things in our life to produce glory for our life. And I think there's something so peaceful and transcendent about the idea that we share in Christ's glory, that our legacy is his legacy that our future is his future, that our past has been removed and replaced with his past. And the story of Jesus is our story. And the future of Jesus is our future. And the glory of Jesus we share in because we have made his name known. And it's just such a burden removing message because so much of this life is us trying to make something of our life and trying to make something of our name, but to let it all go and to say, God, I don't want... I I don't even care if anybody remembers my name. I don't even care if anybody remembers what I did unless it was to make your name known and to do your will. And there's something about Colossians that's so convicting, but it's also so comforting to know. It says, so if, you're, if you reveal this and he says uh, to the whole world that you'll share in his glory. But verse five says, so, and I, the, if you stop on that word, so, it's a coordinating conjunction. It's connecting two ideas. So if you want all of that, if you want that peace, if you, if you want that comfort, if you want all of that, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. So there's this other kind of hide and seek. And it's these sinful earthly things that are lurking inside of you, have nothing to do with sexual immorality, 
with impurity, with lust and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of the world, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malice behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all of its wicked deeds. And so put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your new, your creator and become like him. You know, I was looking at this as, as put to death. It's so funny because I think that for many of us being a Christian almost means like, well, if I come to God and I say this prayer, then he's going to do it all for me. He's just going to suddenly fix it all for me. The thing that you need to understand is he made available the freedom, but then part of it is the journey that you take of activating. Don't just be a hearer of the word, but a doer also. And so there's a command here, another one. It says, so you put to death. What does that mean? Put to death. Like, I know this sounds crazy to say it out loud, but it literally means to, to murder, to kill it. And you know, we're in this series called Fast Food And isn't it funny that you've eaten chicken nuggets your entire life, but never killed a chicken? Like, I know that sounds super basic. Maybe you're not all meat eaters, but like, isn't it kind of weird that you've had thousands of hamburgers and never put a cow to death? It's like we've we've disconnected like consuming something without experiencing killing it. And I think that's really what, I know this is like deep revelation for some of you, so stay with me. But I think it's like we've consumed Christ, but we've never put to death the flesh. Like we've never actually experienced what it means to, to kill something. I know it sounds crazy and, and like really bizarre, but we live in this consumeristic society where we've, we're, the things that make us uncomfortable, we've removed them. Every little thing that makes us uncomfortable, like it happens in some, like the chicken poultry factory and the, the meat factory, it, it all happens in some like back room experience. And what we get is like chicken nuggets. Um, what, what, what we get is like a hamburger through the drive-thru. Like we, we don't have to see blood. We don't, we don't have to see any of the process. We just get the product. And I, I think what we've created is this Christianity that's very much like that. It's a Christianity where like, we don't have to see Christ on the cross. We don't have to see Christ literally crushed and, and stripes on his back where they dug in with the, the, the actual crown of thorns upon his head. We don't have to see that. It's like, we just see the, the fog machines and the light shows and the LED walls and the band and the music. And like, what we get is what happens after death. Like we get, we get to experience that. But I believe what God wants to take you to is like, what does it look like? Not just to even see Christ's death, but to also share in putting to death your own desires. Like, because I'll be honest, um, actually to eat chicken, you have to kill a chicken, you know? And it's to eat a hamburger, you have to, I know this is the weirdest thing I've ever said from a stage, but we can't disconnect the process from the product. And I think for many of us, we want God to bless areas of our life 
that we have not put to death. We want to experience a resurrection in an area that there's never been a crucifixion. And Colossians 3 says, so if you want all of this glory to share in it with Christ, if you want this life that's hidden in him, you have to be willing to put to death earthly things that are lurking within you. You know, I want to share with you what is the gospel. If I could ask most of you, if I went around with my microphone and I went up to each and every one of you, V1 Indiana, V1 New York, here in New York City, Long Island, V1 Miami that's getting ready to launch. And I said, what is the gospel? You might struggle with that question. But if I asked you, what is a worship service? You could tell me exactly what it is. If I said, what is a sermon? You could tell me exactly what a sermon is. But many of us struggle to define what is the gospel. So I'm gonna tell you what the gospel is right now. The true gospel of Jesus Christ is that you are more depraved and wicked and evil than you could ever conceive. That not one of us is good and we have zero ability in our own power and our own will to ever be good. That's one side of the gospel, is you understanding your complete and total depravity. You are more capable of evil than you could ever fathom in your own mind. And there is not, what this is the, the, the nice little school lady that was your first grade teacher was capable of the most heinous evil that you could ever fathom. She just wasn't put in the right context for it. And we're all, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But then the other side of the gospel is that we are more loved and more accepted through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ than we also could ever conceive. And it's both of those. And I think for years and years and years, I thought I was a good person who did bad things. And all I had to do is keep reading the Bible and I had keep coming to church and keep singing worship songs and I was gonna be less bad. I was gonna be less evil. I was gonna, those things that are lurking inside of me. And it's like, that's, that's kind of what I thought the gospel was. I didn't understand com the complete and total depravity of Mike Signorelli. And it wasn't until later on in my 20s that I actually saw it fully unleashed after my dad died and I went in, into that darkness that I realized how depraved I truly was. But also this is a, the gospel is a message of humility because once you understand your depravity, it produces humility. Because what you say is, oh, wow, like I'm no better. So even when you do something good, you say, even though I did this morally good thing, I am, cap I am still capable in and of my own abilities to do some of the craziest, most heinous things. But then the other side of the gospel is, while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. The other side of the gospel is with, without any guarantee that you would ever accept him, the Bible says he put his love out on the line. And, that, and so, the, so when you begin to understand that, it's not about somebody who is bad getting a little bit better at modifying their behavior every time they do Christian things like reading the Bible and going to church. It is somebody like me and you, totally depraved, total, impossibly wicked, 
where all we can do is choose the wrong thing over and over again, saying yes to Jesus, saying yes to his blood, saying yes to his sacrifice, and then the Holy Spirit begins to work on the inside of us. And then he begins to empower us. And Colossians 3 says, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with them. So the Holy Spirit begins to convict you. The Holy Spirit begins to pinpoint those things. The Bible, Colossians is not telling us to do something that the Holy Spirit is not empowering us to actually do. But then you understand that it is not your power that's overcoming these things lurking inside of you, but it's his power on the inside of you. And it says this in verse 10, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. I wanna read that again and just listen to this. Put on, so that's a command like, I put on clothes today. These were not the clothes that I wore yesterday because the clothes that I wore yesterday, I sweated in them. The clothes that I wore yesterday, I pitted them out. The clothes that I wore yesterday have dead skin cells on, on a microscopic level that you can't see. And that's kind of disgusting. And so I put on new clothes today. I was renewed today, but that was a choice I made. I could keep wearing the same clothes every single day. And sooner or later, people would say, man, Pastor Mike, you smell so bad. And some of you are Christians who have not put on your new nature and you're wearing your old nature and it becomes this aroma of anger and people can smell it, an aroma of lust and perversion. People can smell it, an aroma of all of these things that, and God is saying, put on your new nature. But that's something we have to do. I'm gonna read verse 10 again. It says, and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him as you learn to know your creator and then you become like him. And so then what is the gospel? The gospel is, Jesus, I wanna know you. I wanna know you. I don't wanna know church. I don't wanna know worship songs. I don't wanna know things, Greek and Hebrew and the Bible. I actually wanna know you. And so because I wanna know my creator, that's why I read the Bible. Because I'm, I'm, I'm in this relationship with you and I'm being renewed as I learn more about you in the scriptures. When I'm praying, I'm not praying religious prayers. This is a religious prayer. God save me, I screwed up again. I'm a bad person doing bad things and save me from all the consequences of my bad stuff. That's how sinners pray. But when you're truly saved, when you've accepted the gospel, you pray like this, God, I wanna know you because there's this evil lurking around inside of me that's not like you. And I wanna become more like you. And God, I know that you saved me from the consequences of death, but I want you to teach me your ways. And that's what begins to happen on the inside of you. And when you go down to verse 12, it says, since God chose you to be the holy people that he loves. I just wanna, the false gospel is that he loves you no matter what, do whatever you want. I love Colossians 3 because it says, since God chose you to be the holy people that he loves. We've preached the message of he loves sinners. But, but I, I, I want to add this, the holy people that he loves. 
He's called you to be the holy people that he loves. So yes, he loves you. Yes, he understands that you're going through a process, but he loves you and he desires for you to be like him. And to be like him is to be holy. Be holy as he is holy. What does holy mean? I'm gonna tell you. Holy means separated. Holy means, it's, it simply means to be separated and to be set apart. It's like what happened in the, te- the old temple days is that there would be bread and bread at your house is just normal. It's, it's secular, it's earthly. But then bread upon the altar, the showbread upon the altar of the Lord becomes holy. Why? Because it's separated. And so what happens is you can be in this world, but not be of this world, which means you're walking around the same Portage, Indiana, the same New York City, the same Long Island, but you're holy because you're separate than them. Your thoughts are separate than their thoughts. They have a way that Americans think and talk, the way they cuss, the way that they lust, the way that's the way they act, but you're holy. And so you have the same tongue they have, but your tongue is separated. That's what holiness means. I won't talk like they talk. I won't think like you have the same brain they have. It's made of the same genetic material. You're a carbon-based being on planet earth, but your brain will not think like their brain. It's, that's what the holiness of God is. And he loves you and he calls you to be like him and you begin to clothe yourselves. And this is what it says. It's such, it's just like water washing you right now. It says, you must clothe yourself with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Pastor Mike, can I listen to this song? Well, I don't know. Are the lyrics of this song clothed with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience? Pastor Mike, like, is it okay to listen to this preacher or this pastor? I don't know when he's preaching. Is there a tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience? You know, like, Pastor Mike, how do I know that I'm on the right path? I'm telling you, when Jesus died on the cross, this is, I'm giving you the last and final stage of the gospel. Leaders go first. Leaders go first. The cross of Jesus Christ was not supposed to be the only cross. It was supposed to be the first one. And what he said is, I'm dying. I'm actually choosing this. See, the thing about Jesus is that he didn't have to die on the cross. As a matter of fact, he could have sent his angels. They could have lifted him out of that place. They could have, there could, anything, but he chose it. Why? Because he knew there cannot be any resurrection, any redemption without first crucifixion. And so what happens is you don't have to die on your cross. You could be lustful. You could be full of anger. You could be full of pride. You don't have to. You could live your life. You can have the best American life, American dream. You could have it. You could do whatever you want. But you, when you understand the gospel, you say, oh, Jesus went first. Now it's my turn to go next. And this is what it says in verse 13. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. You know, it's like we want 
It's so crazy because we want peace, but we want peace without death. And what do I mean? I'm not talking about a physical death. I'm talking about a death to our desires, a death to our will, and it is going to be painful. And, I'm, and I guess this should be the greatest encouragement of your life. I'm going to ask that the worship team comes up right now. We're going to prepare ourselves for communion. Why should this be encouraging to you? I know this is like, man, Pastor Mike, this is not a normal sermon. Well, I called this series Fast Food because fast food is convenient. Fast food is comfort food. When you go, and I love fast food, by the way. I'm, I'm, I'll admit I'm a fast food junkie. But fast food, when I was looking this up, it says that it, it includes such risks as obesity, insulin resistance, type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular conditions, and it's because fast food, all of it, any restaurant, it's high in sugar, salt, saturated fat, trans fats, processed ingredients, loaded with calories, and it's low in antioxidants, fiber, and many other nutrients. And this is crazy. Over 70% of all fast food products contain sugar, which is addictive. So what happens is fast food, it tastes so good, but it's so damaging. And I was thinking, what's the opposite of fast food? Slow food. Slow food is um, avocados that grow, kale, sweet potatoes, it's that traditional meal that, you're, that your family would cook and it took some time, slow food. Fa- fornication is fast. Fornication is jumping on your phone and uh, DMing people and, and finding people and sending them explicit pictures and finding somebody to satisfy that sexual desire. So fornication is fast food. It's fornication, is, is, it's easy. But, but it always costs you so much more than the pleasure. You know, uh, getting money is fast, but building wealth takes time. It's slow. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 11 says, money that comes easily disappears quickly, but money that's gathered, gathered little by little, it grows. You know, adding friends is fast. Like being the life of the party, being the person that, you know, coming into a, uh, a new environment, it's like adding friends can be fast, but building real true relationships, it just takes time. Be, being transparent. The, the Colossians 3 says, don't lie to each other and, and be honest. That takes time. That takes vulnerability, like showing up to connect groups every time they open and showing up to church, it takes time. Second Timothy, um, in Second Timothy chapter two, verse three, Paul says, take your share of sufferings as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And this saying is trustworthy for if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. And if we deny him, he will also deny him. I want to become the church. This is like as we close and we're going to prepare for communion across all of our locations right now. I want to become the church that doesn't celebrate us getting buildings. It's the church that celebrates us suffering. 
I want to become the church that doesn't celebrate how many thousands of people are seated in our in each one of our seats. I want to be the kind of church that celebrates how many of those people will actually share in the sufferings of Christ. I don't want to be the church that celebrates the millions of dollars that we've raised to provide for the widow and the orphan and the poor. I, I want to be the kind of church that celebrates suffering alongside of the widow and the orphan and the poor. I, I want to be the kind of church where our highest value is suffering. And I know this sounds crazy, but, it, but there's two kinds of suffering on planet Earth. There's the suffering because of your sin, and then there's the suffering because of your salvation. And we've preached a gospel that removes suffering. And we've told people across stadiums and we've had the major evangelists come and say, if you accept Jesus, all of your suffering can end. But that was a half truth. It's the suffering of your sin that ends. But then there's a new suffering. It's the suffering of your salvation. It's the suffering that says, man, I still want to be sexually perverse. Somebody told me the other day, they said, Pastor Mike, you know, tell me about homosexuality in the Bible. And I said, the scriptures strictly prohibit homosexuality, but I want to tell you, it also prohibits me from doing whatever I want with my heterosexuality. Like I don't have full reign to do whatever I want. And so we join along all of our sexual inclinations in this suffering together and say, I'm suffering with you. It's a different form of suffering for the gospel. But I want to sleep with many women but I choose to limit and say, no, God, I will righteously fulfill this desire through marriage. And so the suffering of your salvation is the next level for many of you. And I want to have the Valor Men's Group be a group of men where we wake up and we say, we are suffering. And I don't know what that looks like because of your sexuality, but I know that we're sharing in this suffering together because either it's the word of God Either it's his standard or there's no standard at all. I, I, you know, I, my wife and I were talking last night and when I was in my uh, recovery uh, from addiction to alcohol, I remember becoming more honest with my wife and I remember telling Julie, um, Julie, I've had such a bad day today. I want to drink so bad, but I'm not going to do it. I, because this is my trigger. This is when I would drink because of all the things that happened. But Julie, I want you to lock the front door and hold me. And I want us to, I, I want to learn the sacred way of suffering. And, and, and I think the, the reason why the church is shrinking in the United States is because we've actually taught a half gospel, which is actually no gospel at all. And the whole gospel is a gospel of suffering. You know, I was uh, thinking about this and, 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 and just prepare for communion. You guys can distribute the communion across the locations. Matthew chapter four, Jesus was fasting. We're in a Lenten season fast. And some of you are like, where's my program? How many days should I fast? What should I fast? And we're gonna get there. But it's all root, all fasting is rooted in suffering. You know, people, uh, they ask me, Pastor Mike, do you think that because of Christian liberties and, and do you think it's possible that you'll ever drink alcohol again? And you know what I told him? I said, yes, I'm fasting alcohol for my entire life. And the next time I drink, it'll be at the marriage supper of the lamb <laughs> with Jesus. And, and, and I, I say that jokingly, but there's something about fasting connected to suffering. 
And there's something about understanding that there's this sacred path, there's this narrow path. You know, the reason why the Navy SEALs get so much uh, prestige here in the United States is because there's all these divisions of the military, but there's this there's this extreme division where they suffer in the most extreme ways. And it's actually their suffering that creates the prestige of I'm a Navy SEAL. And I want to be the Navy SEAL. You know, in Israel, there was three different divisions of people in ancient Israel. There was like the all of Israel, all of the Israelites. But then there were the Levites and then there were the Nazarites. There were like different divisions. The Levites devoted themselves to the temple, but then the Nazarites, they, they were a whole nother level. And Samson was a Nazarite. He was called to the highest level of suffering. As a matter of fact, if you read Proverbs chapter 31, which we often quote about women, and, but verses one through 10 are not through women. And it actually says, the, it says, don't get drunk on wine. That's not what king do, but only give wet wine to people who are on their deathbed in poverty so that they can forget their poverty. That's what Proverbs 31 says, one through 10. And so it's like, it's like drunkenness is only for people who are literally dying and it's to help them forget their poverty and the shame of their life. And it's like, you understand? So, so there should be this sacred suffering that we say, like, I'm going to face life now head on but it, I, I, I'm going to feel all of this. And it's an invitation to suffering. And when we see Jesus in Matthew chapter four, he was being tested in the wilderness. And what Jesus was doing was he was fasting and the devil came to tempt him. And he was dealing with three different things. And we're going to end on this. Number one, the flesh entices. So Jesus' own body was enticing him to, to think about the things of the world, not the things of the spirit, not the things of heaven, like Colossians 3 say. And his flesh was enticing him. So he went on a fast because he's like, to go into this next stage of my ministry, to go to this next level of my life, I have to actually die to this fleshly desire, this thing that's enticing me. But then number two, demons entice. And the devil came and he was like, look, you can have this. You can have, so he had to go through the levels. Number, level number one was the flesh was enticing him. Level number two was the devil was enticing him. But then there's three is the Holy Spirit invites. The flesh entices, demons entice, but God does not entice, he invites. He invites, he invites. And many of you are feeling that invitation from the Lord right now. And, and I, I want the, to be the kind of church where if God is inviting you to become a missionary in Toronto or Western Ukraine, if God's inviting you to sell all of your possessions and give it to the work of the Lord, if, if, he's invi invi if the Holy Spirit's inviting you to actually give up all the desires of lust and never go back to pornography again and have complete and total fidelity and devotion to your marriage, if the Holy Spirit's inviting you into this narrow path that many people, they just won't walk it, like the line to the drive-through is always going to be longer than the line to the kitchen. It's one of those things like making meals. And there's more people that are, are, are going, that fast food's always the easiest way. And so I think for, for us, it's like everybody in America is going to act this way, but very few people will learn the ways of the spirit. 
Everybody in your job's gonna talk this way, but there's gonna be some people that talk the language of heaven. Every, it's like that, and that's to me what this narrow road is. It's slow versus fast. It's right now versus God, I believe that it's right up ahead, but I'm gonna endure. So I want us to take these communion elements and hopefully now this, um, this hits different. You know, we were here till after midnight and many of our team came back to New York City to set up early this morning and it's choosing the way of suffering and actually celebrating that. I know that some of you, even as you're hearing this message, maybe you remember other seasons where you chose the suffering of your salvation, but maybe you got comfortable. Maybe you stepped back and God's calling you into that right now. And so when we take this cup here, and so I want you to prepare, just open up this cup, open up, uh, take this wafer. And when you take communion this time, and I actually don't think that everybody should take communion, by the way. And, and I think communion's something that you should take if you're willing to share in Christ's suffering. It's something that you're saying. I, I think communion is not like, let me feel better. It's actually, God, I want to do this despite my feelings. I'm this actually taking his blood and taking his body is saying, God, I want to be like you. That this is not about my feelings anymore. This is not about my thoughts anymore. This is about your ways. And I want to move in that direction. And, and I think it's, it's just for, for our church, seven years in, it's like a maturity in our faith. It's a maturity in our walk that says, God, I'm gonna be consistent now and I'm gonna share in these sufferings with you. And, and I will tell you this, let me end on good news because we're getting ready to take this. And I want you to discern whether or not you should take communion. But here's the good news. The good news is after dying to that desire that I had to relapse back into alcohol for all these years, guess what? I'm not triggered anymore. I can smell it. I can see it. God could actually entrust me in venues that are lined with alcohol right, right beyond there. And it does nothing to my soul because my mind has been transformed through the sacred way of suffering. I could be alone in the Delta Sky Club where it's unlimited alcohol and I don't need an accountability partner because I have died so many times to that thing that it completely has been eradicated in my life. You can take my phone. I remember one of the hardest things. We would be in marriage counseling and, and I remember having so much filth and multiple relationships going on in my phone and my greatest fear was that my wife was gonna go through my phone. And guess what? Here's the good news. Colossians 3, I have put on the nature of Christ every single day like a fresh new shirt being renewed in his image to the point where any one of you can go throughout my entire phone and I I have this freedom that this is the peace of God. I don't have to worry about being caught anymore. I don't have to worry about, I can be, and you know, there's such a heavy burden from having to manage multiple personalities. None of us were ever built for that. And so the freedom of Christ, this peace in Colossians 3, it says, for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with 
with everything in heaven and earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. So this is the amazing thing. V1 Church, listen to me is as you go through this process of suffering and death, what comes out on the other side is this new life and you feel so light. You feel so weightless. You're like, God, I'm one person now in Christ. I don't have to manage all of these personalities. I don't have to manage all of these things anymore. And and these evil things that were lurking inside of me, I killed them so frequently that they don't even exist anymore. I remember when I started looking at women and seeing seeing daughters instead of seeing sexual objects. And it's because I learned the sacred way of suffering. And I'll never forget the tears begin to flow down my eyes. And I said, I can finally see women the way that he sees women because I learned the ways of suffering. See, this this is the benefit of dying to self is I can see mothers, I can see daughters, I can see it change my whole world. I can see it now, I'm free, I'm free. And so I wanna invite you, so only take this cup with me if you're willing to suffer with me. Because I, I, don't, wanna, I don't wanna be soft, I, I don't wanna be an American church, I wanna be the real thing. I wanna give the underground church of China a run for their money right now. I wanna give the churches in the Middle East, in Pakistan and Iran, I wanna give them a run for their money. I, I wanna give the communists, uh, the churches in Russia under communism a run for their money now. I want them to look at us and say, man, that V1 is different. Those guys know the way of suffering. Those guys, I want the women of our church to say, hey, I'm dying to self too. Let's die to self together. Hey, and I want them to experience this peace on the other side of it that then surpasses all understanding. I hope I did justice to this message today. It was one of the hardest messages I've ever had to preach. But I want you to get this cup in your hand right now. And I want you to take this wafer. Every single time you give in the offering, you're dying to self. You're saying, oh, I want to keep this so bad but I'm gonna give it. Every single time that you do this, it's just the way of suffering. But then guess what happens? I I was talking to uh, somebody just last night and he was like, yeah, Pastor Mike, um, I was watching you on this broadcast and I just, the Lord told me just give everything. And I did it. And it was the, one of the most fearless acts that I've done in a long time. It was just faith-based. And he was like, then immediately after I gave it the next day for the entire week, blessings started pouring into my life. And, and it was, he learned the sacred way of suffering. I'm not gonna be selfish. I'm not gonna be greedy. I'm gonna release it. So we're gonna take this right now together. And I believe that God, God Almighty is gonna visit you in your suffering. And, and, he, and this is not the suffering of sin. This is the suffering of salvation. So let's begin to pray. And I'm gonna pray over you. And the Lord's drawing you to this place. Let's just do a few moments of repentance. Repentance is not the same as confession. Confession is, hey, hey, you got me, Pastor Mike. All those things you said, I did those. I'm a bad person. No, repentance is, I don't wanna ever do it again because I wanna suffer with other believers in the body of Christ and I want to become like Jesus and I'm 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 going to choose that way now that's what repentance truly is and so I want to call us to a place of repentance right now 
And I wanna call us to a place of sharing in this cup. And then we're gonna worship again one more time together across every location. And then I believe that, and then we're gonna hear from someone in the close. And I believe that today could be one of the most powerful services you've ever been in because just without any screaming, without any emotionalism, without any good stories, just reading you the scriptures and telling you this is what it is. Lowest common denominator, brass tacks, this is Christianity. No hype, no fluff, this is what it is. Who wants to do this with me? Come on, if that's you right now, Heavenly Father, I pray for every single person under the sound of my voice and my leadership in this house. God, I pray that I've led them now into this sacred path Lord, where they say, I'm gonna share in your sufferings. I'm gonna share in this with you. And so right now, symbolically, Jesus, your body was broken. Your body was broken. And so Father, we are gonna choose as a church to beat our flesh down, to break down our desires, to say not our will, but your will be done. And God, we're choosing that. If you choose that church, would you just take this wafer symbolically and receive the body of Christ now? And Father, we thank you for your blood that doesn't just make bad people good, but actually takes dead people, makes them alive. We were dead in our trespasses, dead in our sin, but alive through you, Jesus. And as we prepare to take, the, take this cup of your blood, God, I thank you that on the other side of this is a freedom that we've never experienced before. On the other side of this is a peace we've never of, could understand or fathom before. And Father, even as this cup goes into our body, it's everything lurking inside of us. It's dealing with it. It's healing it. Even the wounds from our past that make us make these decisions we shouldn't make, that goes in and begins to heal and do supernaturally with only the blood can do. Come on, take this cup now. So Father, I pray right now over every single person of our church, God, that today I feel in the spirit for many of you, this is the new beginning. This is the new chapter. This is the new thing that you've desired. You're saying, God, I don't know what it is. I've tried everything else, but today answered that question. It answered that call. And so as you step in, I wanna congratulate you. Come on, let's pick up our, our cross as a church and carry it together. And this truly is the beginning of your new life, your new season. So welcome to your new season. Come on, let's just worship one more time all together.